think the other thing I would say is you have to have, uh, you have to build into yourself sort of a, an enormous self-confidence and tolerance for when things go wrong because they go wrong every single day and you can't you can't get too caught up in the fact that they go wrong every single day Matt Huey embodies the spirit of the Texas farmer he loves his family he loves his land and cattle and he does not give up Although farming is a difficult profession, full of risk and unknowns, Matt wakes up every morning and dedicates his time to 1349 food and fiber. Through and through, Matt is committed to production agriculture and to upholding the legacy that had brought him down this path. He's the greatest man I've ever known. And he's my dad. This story is more than the story of a farm and ranch or an old cowboy. It is the story of the things that shape us. This is the story of Roots. I'm your host, Abby Huey. Matt grew up moving around Texas, but Beeville was home. He spent most weekends with his grandfather, who put him to work on the farm, and it was here that he developed his love for farming and ranching. It was clear that farming is what Matt wanted to do with his life from the very beginning, but as I mentioned in last week's episode, education was very important to his grandfather. His grandfather told him that he absolutely had to get a college degree, so that if farming didn't work out, he had something to fall back on. Matt graduated from Texas A&M University in 1998 alongside his wife and the love of his life, Shambrin. They moved to Beeville right after graduation. Shambrin worked for a local bank for a while, and with the help of his grandfather, Matt started up his own farm and ranch operation. It's important to note here that while James did help Matt get started, he did not give Matt anything. Again, equality is an important pillar in our family, and James did not want it to seem like Matt was the favorite grandchild. He helped Matt make connections to acquire land and may have loaned him the use of equipment here and there, but nothing was ever given. Matt worked for his success from the ground up. This is sort of a novelty in what I keep referring to as a generational farm, because while Matt would take over granddaddy's operation one day, it is not what got him started. Matt farmed his first crop in the year 2000 on a thousand acres, and it went pretty smoothly, all things considered. Matt also acquired more land at the end of 2000, effectively doubling the size of his operation and requiring new loans to do so. So he had all this new land and three employees and he was rolling. And then 2001 and 2002 were terrible. It was dry, there was no governmental farm support yet, and Matt and Shambrin were broke. This is when it became really vital that Shambrin had the job at the bank as she had a steady income and benefits like health insurance to cover the bad years. It is also important to know that one of the most important things about being a farmer is knowing your government assistance qualifications, because that can make or break you. One of the hardest parts for new farmers is not having any yield history to work with in order to qualify for a policy payment. All in all, Matt and Shambrin's first few years were tough. Farming is a tough business. And when things get hard in your life, especially if you're starting a business, giving up seems easy, plausible, smart even. Perseverance is harder. 
Every day, farmers wake up and choose perseverance. Here to talk with us today about this perseverance and the everyday inner workings of the current farm and ranch are Matt and Chambering Huey, the owners and operators of 1349 Food and Fiber. They are also my parents and my absolute heroes. So Pops, can you talk a little bit more about what got you started and what it was like to be a young ag business owner? I have to think on being young again. Um, being the boss when you're 22 um, and having all that responsibility basically on your own is a, is a little awkward. I can remember lots of times when we first hired Angel and Angel would say, well, that's my boss. And they would say, or that's the owner. And they would say, oh, no, not him, his dad. And Angel would say, no, no, that's him. It's just him. <laughs> and so so was, the other part of that is I was completely ignorant of a lot of stuff. We just had to learn a lot of stuff through the school of hard, hard knocks, trial and error. We still learn a, stuff, a lot of stuff through trial and error, but at least we have a little more background to lean on. When you start green, you just don't have a lot of background to work with. I mean, honestly, I wish I had taken more, more economics courses in school. And, you know, most of what I did was leadership and animal science. And my career as a farmer began without knowing a hell of a lot about soil and crop science. I mean, I work for the research farm and I know how to, the basic fundamentals of sunshine and fertilizer and water make a crop, but there were a ton of things I didn't know about chemistry and about seed and about soil fertility and soil pH. And uh, even what I did learn in a textbook didn't immediately translate to how the dirt works. And so. So you're a young farmer just starting out. I mean, you grew up around it, but really you were just starting out kind of all on your own. You were kind of ignorant of some of the like scientific parts of farming. Did you know that you'd survive? The short answer is no, we didn't know if we would survive. We still don't know if we'll survive. This is a pretty volatile business. Um, wonder that every day we get up in the morning. So in talking with my mom and dad about this concept of survival in production agriculture, I learned that farmers wear a lot of hats, more than I ever imagined. Leader, problem solver, plant pathologist, economist, businessman or woman, you name it. And I think if I were to ask you, what do you think a farmer does every day? Everyone would have a different image that comes to mind. So for example, my dad is a farmer, obviously, and the head of operations. He has a whole big business and rarely does he get on a tractor. So tell us more about like your everyday. What's it like when you wake up in the morning What's your day look like? Every morning I show up at the barn about 10 after seven. Employees are supposed to be there by seven, but we do a little grace period because most everybody, most everybody doesn't make it in until 7.15. Mainly the grace period is for Papa. He's not a morning person. <laughs> this is also true. This is where I'd like to note that my father is potentially the only farmer I know that's not a morning person. Anyway, um, so we, we, we get to work shortly after seven kind of divide up what our employees are going to do for the day, whether we're, you know, what tractors are running, where they're running, how that's going to get divided up, whether we're doing, uh, whether we're, you know, we've got projects going on, working on water systems or pens or fence, or if we're working cattle, uh, 
there are plenty of days where I've got, you know, cowboys coming in, and so I'll get to the barn and get everybody set off on their way, and go meet up with the cowboys wherever they are, stuff, whatever. Yeah, I almost never sit on a tractor. The first day or two of planting a crop, I'll get on the tractor an hour or two a day to make sure everything's working the way I want, to make sure everything's set up the way I want. Of course, I'll you know, spend time digging behind it. Kind of whatever the operation is, I'll, I'll be there to make sure it gets set up um, and, and it's working, doing the job I want it to do. Um, but then I, I'm, I'm done. I do do a lot of spraying myself, especially in the spring, for two reasons. One is it's really delicate. Um, you sure don't want to put the wrong chemical on the wrong crop, which we've been known to do. Absolutely. Have those mistakes. Yeah, have a tank mix go bad. Do not want to put. 2,4-D on not 2,4-D tolerant cotton doesn't end well. Um, so I'm pretty cautious of, of, so I do a lot of that myself here in the spring, but that's really the only activity that I do that I, where I physically drive tractor any significant amount of time. Um, in the fall, I let somebody else do a lot of that as well. Just for reference, 2,4-D is a toxic herbicide weed killer that not all cotton plants are immune to. Other thing is I get to see the crop, right? I mean, you know, you drive by and look at it from the road, you get a pretty good idea, you walk out in it, you get a pretty good idea, but you go spray it, you spray all those acres, you know, especially when you start talking about cotton and you spray them every week or two, you really see what's going on out in the field. You see where the holes are, you see what uh, the plant health is like. You see, say, oh, this is going to work, or oh, it's not going to work, or this really needed this, or this really doesn't need this. What would you say has been one of your biggest challenges, or challenges that you've witnessed in farming in general? I think one of the interesting things that I've learned is that you can be, you know, you can be a good farmer in terms of out in the field, you know, planting or whatever, but if you can't manage the business side of it, you're you're not going to be successful and there are some people who just don't know how to manage the business side of it yeah i mean having the best crop does not mean making the most money yeah. having the best crop and having the worst you know having the cheapest crop does not mean making the most money in fact it rarely means making the most money so there's so many decisions on you know price and type of seed and, you know, just yeah. all kinds of things. That... So when we talk about this business side of agriculture and the importance of making these decisions that really impact your financials, it's really important for people in agriculture to have a bank lender that understands cyclical small business and the nature of risk in agriculture. So certainly your risk profile is an issue. And understanding how policy works with risk profile as an issue, but also understanding assets and the way assets are built in agriculture, and that those and the lack of liquidity compared to a lot of other small businesses, and the fact that it's an annual cycle, right? So it takes a long time before you have a real set of financials, and even when you get to the end of the year, you may or may not have a really accurate set of financials because. You may have crop that's unsold. You may have, I mean, there are just a lot of moving parts in agriculture. 
And especially if you're like we are, where you have cattle business and row crops tied together, row crops kind of have a start and a stop with the exception of crops that are in storage um, or, in a, or in a marketing pool. But add to that a cattle market when you don't know what you're going to sell. But you just don't know those things. You don't know what your calf crop's going to be like. You don't know what they're going to sell for. You don't have a good way to say when you start the season, this is what I'm going to sell a crop for. And this is what I'm going to sell cattle for. We know what the, we know what, what the Chicago Board of Trade says, but you, you don't really know the answers until it's done. So this is what agriculture is really all about. You're almost completely reliant on factors outside of yourself, and the decisions that you can make are almost always big ones. So at this point, you may be thinking something along the lines of, this is a lot of work, or sounds expensive and dirty, or why the hell would anyone want to do this for a living? All for thoughts, but that last one, that's the important one. I think part of it is, it's roots, right? So uh, feel like you're feel like you're obligated and tied to to the area, to the land, to the you know. In the beginning, we wanted to start a business and raise our family here. With sort of a different understanding of what the world is like than somebody who grows up in New York City and ability to, to teach them to solve problems for themselves and to be self-sufficient and to, to have an understanding of mother nature and land around them you know, to be able to see the beauty of creation and the, the beauty of production and i you know part of it is i you know while we have a bunch of different pieces of this puzzle at heart i'm a producer right i like to make stuff i like to grow stuff there are not that many occupations where you create something new all the time. Most occupations are, that we see in this country today are service occupations of some kind. Certainly there are people who build stuff, but they don't produce stuff, right? They're producing the stuff that's the basic building blocks of the economy. And I love that. And, you know, I want to provide a place where if my children or my grandchildren want to come back and be part of this part of the land they can. My grandfather would say that, you know, land is always going to be valuable because they're not making it anymore. Next time on Roots. I mean, I think two things. Number one, it's just the right uh, business decision. It's it's a market that has huge gaps in it and that has lots of room for growth. It's especially now with.